Audio. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time? Think about your reputation. Trying to be the next Greetings, you beautiful tangential listeners out there. It is uh, Wednesday, November 13th. Yesterday was 11-12-13. Today is 11-13-13. Not sure whether that's good luck or not. That whole good luck thing, Friday the 13th, kind of funny when I got to Spain. And uh, I realized that in Spain, it's Tuesday the 13th is bad luck. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) Things start looking real arbitrary when you move to another culture. Take it from me if you've never done it. That's one of the greatest things about moving to another culture is you start to see how utterly arbitrary so many things are. I mean, that that may not be the strongest example, but if you've read Sex at Dawn, you know that we start with a big discussion of food and... Uh, actually the first thing we talk about in sex at dawn is the discovery of, well, the discovery again, even that word discovery is full of cultural assumptions. Uh, yeah, like a white guy discovered a place that other people are already living. Well, how the hell is that a discovery? Right. And also, I mean, was Cortez white? What does white mean by the way? You know, it, it, everything gets really confusing very quickly as, um, almost 100% Irish stock, I kind of resent the fact that I'm often con- I am considered white when 100 years ago the British considered the Irish to be a lower form of human being than Africans, you know, on their scale of of uh, human uh, evolution and quality, the Irish were considered, pardon me, the niggers of the north. And that was not a compliment at that time. Uh, the Irish were the last of the uh, the Europeans to be Christianized. They were the the longest lived pagans, the the last of the pagans of the European pagans to be uh, brought under domination. Which sometimes uh, I think about, you know, the the Irish penchant for for drink and poetry and and mysticism. Uh, I wonder if there isn't a, a connection between that and the fact that they were the last to be brought under the the whip of the Christians. Uh, I think it was James Joyce who described the Irish as a priest-ridden, God-forsaken race. Another exile, by the way. Um, anyway, what the hell was I talking about? Jeez, I, I, I've gone off on a tangent already, a tangent of a tangent. Well... Thanks to everybody who's who's written in uh, this week. I have a list somewhere of your names, and I can't find it right now. Got some really um, cool emails in the last couple of weeks. Uh, some people, uh, Dave Friedman, for example, uh, made some donations to the podcast via PayPal. If you want to do that, you can find the donate button on uh, my website, Chris Ryan PhD. Click on Tangentially Speaking. If you don't normally listen to the podcast through that route, you might not know it. But anyway, go to my po- my website, Chris Ryan PhD. Click on Tangentially Speaking. 
You'll see all the back um, episodes, photos, some show notes, things like that. You can download the entire episode there, and you'll see up at the top um, a donate button. You can donate through that. You can also uh, go through the Bonobo, click on his balls or any other part of his body. That'll take you to Amazon. Whatever you buy, we get a percentage of your of your expense. doesn't cost you anything extra. just takes a cut out of Amazon's bite which is nice, and sends a couple percentage of uh, whatever you spend to us. Uh, news, before I forget, we're, we're just back from Puebla, Mexico. Uh, Cassie and I went down there for an event, kind of a TED-type thing that they do in Puebla every year. It's called Ciudad de las Ideas. It was... Um, yeah, it's kind of what you would imagine. It's like TED run by Mexicans. Uh, with all the all the charm and chaos and confusion and spontaneous loveliness that that implies, uh, it was it was quite an it was quite an experience. I'm glad we we decided to stay for the whole three days, four days. Uh, so we saw the whole thing. Uh, my performance was a strange little thing where it was on the last day. They had me, Helen Fisher, Marty Hazelton, David Buss, Robert Sapolsky. I mean, if if you don't recognize these names, some of these people are really heavy hitters. Uh, particularly Robert Sapolsky. He's I've admired him for well over a decade at this point. He's um, he's a, a neuroscientist at Stanford Medical School. He's a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient. He's written half a dozen, uh, at least, excellent books. The Trouble with Testosterone, uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, a whole bunch of um, scientific essays. I believe he's got a column in the Wall Street Journal these days about science. He's got some excellent lectures up on YouTube. Just Google Sapolsky, S-A-P-O-L-S-K-Y. Uh, and you'll see some of his stuff. He's got a big beard and you know crazy hair. He's 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 kind of a wild man, but he's very uh, chilled, uh, relaxed, calm, sweet, sweet, uh, humble guy. Uh, just, this is the first time I've met him in person. Um, you know, but here's the thing: when I was working on Sex at Dawn and sort of trying to figure out how to negotiate publishing and all that i sent him an email out of the blue and the dude answered it and we went back and forth you know three four exchanges him giving me advice on how to choose an agent and you know what to look for here and what to look for there uh extremely generous and uh, i i really appreciated it at the time obviously um but I have to say that now that I've got a book and I'm getting lots of emails from people asking me for advice and so on, and I'm sure the volume of stuff that I'm getting is a tiny fraction of what he gets because he's been, you know, as I say, he's been at this a long time. He's far more um, well-known than, than I am or ever will be. And uh, plus he's teaching at Stanford and he's got research going on in Kenya and so I have no idea where the guy finds the time to answer a stranger's email, but he did. And um, so, you know, now that I, I, I have a tiny taste of what it's like to be in his position, I appreciate his generosity even more. 
And I'm glad to say when I met him in Pueblo, I didn't make the same mistake I made with Peter Gabriel pretending he was just some guy. I, I really, I effusively thanked him. So, which embarrassed him and made him uncomfortable, but what the hell, at least I, I don't have any regrets of, of not saying the kind things that I wanted to say to him, you know, as I do with Peter Gabriel, who I'll probably rue that to the day I die. Um, anyway, this thing in Pueblo was uh, kind of crazy. The last day they had uh, Deepak Chopra debating Richard Dawkins. It was sort of this huge heavyweight uh, battle between, you know, Clash of the Titans. You know, it, and it kind of, I was sitting next to Robert Sapolsky listening to these two guys, which was probably one of the highlights of my life. But, you know, just in terms of, um, of uh, you know, sitting next to this incredible guy listening to I, Richard Dawkins is super smart. There's no doubt about it. He's an important person. He's done important work. He's, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's an important guy. Um, but I gotta say the the debate was like you know it was like um it was like a a shyster versus an asshole i mean they neither one of them represented themselves very well, I have to say uh Dawkins got extremely agitated and aggressive and nasty and dismissive, and he alienated the audience uh you know, for someone who's who's been playing this game as long as he has, you would think he'd be smoother at it. Uh, you could see that um, Chopra really got under, under his skin. And so on stylistic points, Chopra was winning. His body language was relaxed. He was sort of, uh, you know, he was playing the audience far better than Dawkins did. For example, at one point, Chopra had just gone on about the womb of the universe and the, the ineffable nothingness of space and all that. And, um, and Dawkins said, you know, did anyone here have any, does anyone in here have any idea what he just said? Cause it was pure bullshit. It was just word salad. And a bunch of people raised their hand and Dawkins said, you're lying. Now that is not a way to win over an audience. Not that I'm a great expert in these things, but clearly calling your audience liars is not a good way to, you know, score points with them. So anyway, it was, it was just a weird thing and it went on long, which meant that when, um, our bizarre spectacle came up after them, which was four of us versus another four of us in this weird sort of boxing thing where they brought ropes out onto the stage and there are all these buttons. It was like a game show thing. And we were supposed to have three rounds of three minutes each to discuss, um, to debate um, whether humans were naturally monogamous or polygamous. And if you know any of my work, you know that I don't believe humans are monogamous or polygamous. I think we're essentially promiscuous by nature when not forced into some other arrangement. So it was very strange. I was on the polygamy side, even though I disagree with that position just as much as the monogamy side. And uh, we did our first three rounds and then uh, the, the organizer ended it. Uh, I guess because Dawkins and uh, Chopra had run on so long that there wasn't any time and it was just a confusion of pushing buttons and flashing lights and whose turn is it to talk? And it was just a freaking mess. Uh, but 
people in the audience claimed they had fun and I uh, took the opportunity to to say a sentence that I never thought I'd get to say, which was, Rabbi, have you ever seen a gorilla's penis? You know, when you're talking to a rabbi, you're on stage, you got to come up with the gorilla's penis line. At least that's how I roll. Uh, so another one of the great things about this thing in Pueblo was that I got to spend time with uh, Robert Sapolsky, David Buss, who's uh, you know probably one of the most prominent evolutionary psychologists in the world, and Helen Fisher, who I don't know if she considers herself an evolutionary psychologist, but she's written uh, a slew of books in that area. Um, Anatomy of Love is a particularly um, beautiful book. Not that I agree with it 100%. Um, I disagree with her uh, probably, you know, 20%, um, but it's an important 20%. And David Buss, I disagree with a lot, more like 80% probably, um, intellectually talking here. So it was awkward. Uh, I think both of them coming into it considered me to be, um, you know, a gnat flying around in their eyes or ears or nostrils or whatever. Um, you know, but I, but we, we spent some time at the bar. We, one night we hung out and all of us and had a few drinks and talked. And I hope that they agree with me that, uh, that we, we found uh, some respect for each other and, and a lot of affection, particularly in the case of Helen Fisher. I, Cassie and I had a great time with her and, and we're really impressed by what a sweet, sweet woman she is and, uh, and very, very open hearted and kind and, and decent. And so, you know, the whole point of science is that you can disagree and not get personal about it. And if you read my review of uh, Franz Duvall's last book, which is in on my blog in psychology today, you'll, you'll know the story of how you know, he and I started out debating, disagreeing about some important things, and it ended up with him giving me a blurb for the book, you know. So there are ways to disagree with people where ego doesn't get involved. Uh, you sort of do a little bit of an Aikido move, and um, and nobody gets hurt, and everybody's happy, and and these disagreements can be very productive in the end. Speaking of Aikido, another guy I got to spend time with in Puebla is Apollo Robbins. Check him out. Google him. He's an amazing uh, uh, pickpocket, sleight of hand, um, psychological trickster. He's a really interesting guy, actually. Very, he was profiled in The New Yorker recently. He said something that, that really stuck with me, which is that attention is a limited resource. Now, he was talking about that in terms of how you deflect someone's attention from what you're doing. He's one of these guys who like brings someone up on stage and within five minutes, he's taken off their belt and their wedding ring and their glasses and they don't even know it. Right. Much less their wallet and, you know, keys and all that. And so it's all about directing someone's attention in one, in one area while you're working in the other area. But, you know, it really struck with me just like, yeah, you've only got a certain amount of attention. So you either answer it, use it answering emails or you use it working on a book or you're doing a TV thing or whatever. Man, it's limited. It's very limited. Speaking of attention, if you're in Los Angeles, 
Next week, uh, November 21st, I'm going to be doing an event with a couple of comedians and uh, Marty Hazelton, who was at Puebla and uh, teaches at UCLA, teaches uh, evolutionary theory, I think. She's a specialist in uh, hormones and... Um, and, uh, you know, how they affect mating behavior and that sort of thing. Anyway, we're going to be doing this uh, event with uh, Moshe Kasher and um, another comedian. I think maybe Baron Vaughn. I'm not sure who the other comedian is. At UBC Theater, 9 p.m., November 21st. So if you're in L.A., uh, definitely come check that out. I think it's like five bucks or something. That should be fun and enlightening. Okay, quickly, advertisements and uh, sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Squarespace, which is, as you know, if you've listened to the last two episodes, um, the service I've used to set up ChrisRyanPhD.com, which, uh, where you can find this podcast and my, uh, some photos, blogs, Twitter feed, Instagram, all that stuff. If you don't do, if you don't have an account on Twitter or Instagram, you can like see my feed right there on the homepage. And, um, yeah, I put up some photos there sometimes and some videos and interviews and stuff when, when they come through. Um, they're really cool. Uh, I've focused in previous um, chats about uh, their excellent customer service. I mean, seriously, they're based in New York. You have a problem. You have some confusion. You open a ticket. They're back to you within 24 hours for sure. And in my experience, more like four or five hours. You know, it's just like sending an email to a friend. You know, it's very quick. Uh, so if you're, if you're thinking about having a site, there's no simpler way to do it. You, you sign up with them. You've got two weeks free trial. They don't even ask you for a credit card. You just, uh, sign up, uh, start mucking around. They've got templates that are really slick and cool. You just upload your photos, you know, your, choose your text, do whatever you want. And you can change the whole thing just by clicking on a new template and it automatically switches it all over. Uh, and after two weeks, if you want to do it, it's, I think it's eight bucks a month for the basic thing and you get the URL included, right? So it's, it's a really good deal. And then to make it even cheaper, if you sign up and write, uh, let's, the code is tangent 11, T A N G E N T 11, one, one, uh, you'll get another 10% off and, even better, you'll uh, show them that people who listen to this podcast are responding and maybe they'll sponsor me a little more. Uh, so that would be cool. If uh, Seriously, it's a great thing. And the other, I mean, these days, everybody's got their phones, right? Their smartphones and their tablets and all that stuff. Everything's automatically configured for every possible device. So you don't have to worry about that. You just do what you do, whether you're on a laptop or an iPad or whatever it is. And... This, the technology automatically reconfigures everything and makes it beautiful in every different kind of device. So that's pretty cool. Squarespace.com. Check them out. And remember, the code is TANGENT11. Uh, okay, what else? Feralaudio.com. As always, we're part of their network of podcasters where you can hear things like the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Most of you are familiar with him. If not, be sure to check him out. He's... He's great. I'm going to tomorrow. I'm going to be hanging out with Duncan and Daniele. Duncan's going to give us a little tutorial on uh, how to use GarageBand. I mean, I've got the basics, but I'm sure he can teach me some tricks. And then I think we're going to a firing range. I, 
I'm not sure. That should be a strange and interesting afternoon. Um, uh, T-shirts, Sure Design T-shirts, as always. Wonderful, great Sure Design T-shirts. You can get the Sex at Dawn uh, T-shirt made by Sure Designs at chrisryanphd.com. You'll see the store. Tomorrow, I believe, we are getting the shipment. Tomorrow, which is your today, because this will go up tomorrow for my tomorrow, your today. Thursday, in other words. Uh, we're scheduled to get a new shipment of Sure Design of um, yeah Sure Design T-shirts of the Sex of Dawn design made by Levi Greenacres, uh, designed by Levi Greenacres. But we're also getting new shirts um, with the tangentially speaking design, uh, which will be very cool to see. I'm very much looking forward to that. So starting. Today, your today, will have uh, all these new T-shirt designs. So we're expanding. I'm really happy about that. Uh, so if you're if you're into the podcast but you're not into the book, well, there you go. Get a podcast T-shirt. Also, I think I think there are hoodies in this shipment. So I mean, we're we're going nuts with this stuff. My mom sends them out. She runs the T-shirt business thing here, and uh, so they cost twenty bucks. Plus shipping and handling, I think it's four, four per shirt. Shipping and handling, uh, ten of that goes right to mom. Uh, some of it goes to pay for the shirts uh, and the envelopes and the you know blah blah blah. And uh, yeah, I think the the podcast we end up with a couple bucks, but you know most of it goes to mom. Oh, some of it goes if you buy the the I paid the designers for both of them. I paid the one lump sum to the tangentially speaking designer. Levi gets two bucks a shirt uh, that we sell of his design. So uh, yeah, we're spreading the money around. It's cool. Okay, what else? I told you about the Amazon affiliate link, Carsey Blanton theme song. As always, fantastic. If you want to hear more of her work, go to CarseyBlanton.com, C-A-R-S-I-E, Blanton, B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. And that's it. This week's uh, guest is the amazing Dan Savage. You'll hear uh, Dan and I are friends, uh, have been since, uh, since he read Sex at Dawn and basically made it a bestseller and put us on the map, something for which I'll forever be grateful. Um, but you'll hear in this podcast that Dan is a, is a humble guy. He's an incredibly busy guy, a very hard guy to pin down. Uh, but he is still, he's a humble guy. He's a sweetheart. He's a wonderful, wonderful, smart, very smart guy. And as you hear in the podcast, I'm not blowing smoke up his ass here. I honestly believe that Dan Savage will be remembered as uh, as a historical figure. Um, I, I mean that he's. I, I don't remember if I say this in the in the interview or not, but I started listening. Or I started reading Dan's column about 20 years ago. Uh, I think, yeah, must have been like when it first started. When he first started doing it, I I was aware of it. Um. And he was fringe, you know, he was like this crazy gay guy who would say anything and, and, you know, like was answering questions from people sticking things up their ass. And, uh, and now Dan Savage is mainstream and he's on Colbert report four or five times. He's on Bill Maher. He's, you know, he's everywhere. He's on MT. Sorry. He's got a, uh, just 
burped into the microphone. I should be fired. Uh, sorry. He uh, he uh, had a TV show on, on MTV. I think that's coming back. Yeah, he's the mainstream guy. And the thing is, he hasn't changed at all. He hasn't sold out. He hasn't toned down his message or his language or anything. What's happened is that he has pulled the stream to him. So now he's mainstream, but that's not because he changed. It's because he changed the stream. How many people can say that? That's incredible. He doesn't buy it, but, you know, I think at a certain point... um, you know, your own mental health requires that you not buy that sort of talk about yourself. So, uh, you know, I hope he'll never buy it, but I buy it. I think it's true. And um, maybe after listening to this, you'll get a sense for, for what Dan's like as a, as a person. He's, he's a lot of fun. So, okay, hope you enjoy the podcast and uh, thanks for listening. sound check here we are sitting in front of the thing is that really going into that thing that's recording it yeah crazy this is a zoom it's it's great um you sure you want to do this yeah 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 Yeah. stop 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 being nice (laughs) it's my nature it's taken me so long to get here for us to sit down together you you, you don't want to give me the option saying yeah let's wait a week or two because then it'll be two more years um all right. Well, I, I'll record the in- Did intro you need and all to that. Drink? No, I'm good. I'm okay. Good. Uh, I'm here with Dan Savage at the uh, the offices of the Stranger. Let me just make sure that's yeah. The numbers are running and the lines there, so I think we're good. Uh, you mentioned in the elevator you haven't uh, slept for a while, so uh, if if Dan doesn't sound like his normal ebullient self. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, it's funny the the text I've at risk youth on the podcast say I'm actually better when I have insomnia for a few days. Yeah, it brings I'm, you into the normal range. Yeah, more succinct yeah. and and less windy and aggressive. So that they like it. Maybe they're putting crystal meth in my tea or something to keep yeah. me awake for days at a time. Well, digressive is is okay. This the name of this podcast is tangentially speaking. Well, there we go. I'm so, be perfect. Yeah. Oh no, so you want me in my usual diarrhea mouth? Stage. Whatever, exactly. Yeah, there's no, there's no real focus. It's, it's celebrating undisciplined conversation. I think <laughs> is is the tagline. Um, you know, the main thing, like everybody knows who you are, right? And so, you know, I, I don't want to sort of go down the normal path of you know what's the weirdest question you've ever gotten, yada yada yada. I think, but I, I also don't want to be intrusive. But mm-hmm. I think that what people are really interested in at this point is what's it like to be. Dan Savage at this moment in American history. It's exhausting. I'll bet. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you've already referred to the fact that it's kind of hard to arrange. You know, we know each other personally. We're friends. And, right. and yet still, it's hard to pin you down and find a time where you're not running. You, know, you were in Edmonton, what, yesterday, the day before? I was in Edmonton. Then I, Before that, I was in Chicago. Before that, I was in Alabama. Before that, I was in St. Louis. Before that, I was in Salt Lake City. Before that, I was in, I don't remember right. where. And you're not the guy who's looking for excuses to get away from the nagging wife. <laughs> so, Although, you know, I do think Terry and I have been together a long time, and uh, Terry's a fox and everything. 
But, you know, there's that study that came out a, a bit ago that showed that, you know, one of the secrets to long-term success is spending time apart. That couples who yeah. go on separate vacations, who yeah. have some friends that are independent of each other, that, you know, aren't uh, – everything isn't shared, time or friends or interests or pursuits. And it's good for Terry and I that we spend time apart. I'm always happy to be home. I miss him like crazy when I'm gone. Yeah. Um, and then I get annoyed and then I have a trip. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's really one of the keys to everything, not just relationships. It's like it's putting yourself in a position where you're happy for something to end. I mean, you go to the gym a lot, but I hate going to the gym. Ah, uh, you know, I love the gym. Yeah, I mean, I always I, I love the gym. I, I always joke that if I were gay, I'd love the gym too, because you get to check people out in the locker room. Yeah, and it's like cool. It's not harassment. It's like you're kind of there to check each other out and to be well, checked out. Yeah, but I mean, I don't go to the gym to pick anybody up. But Terry and I arrived with him. Um, it, it, the irony is that you can't get gay boys into a gym in high school right? or, or, yeah, or middle it's, school because it's, it's danger. It's torture. Yeah. You can't look at what you want to look at and people are half-dressed and you don't want to get a telltale boner. That, that <laughs> lost Edgar Allan Poe tale, the telltale boner. <laughs> and, and gym is a nightmare. And then in yeah. adult life, you can't get straight guys into the gym. Yeah. And it's like all gay dudes hanging out. And it's mostly like the chatting and socializing. There's a lot less – like even like I'm gay, Terry's gay – and most of the gay guys that we know and that we know at the gym, we hate the, the, the lurkers and starers in the locker room. They're right. actually despised by most of the guys at the gym. If you catch like a glimpse of somebody you think is hot, that's like, okay, that's a little reward. Right. But if you, you know, take 30 minutes to change your clothes because you're just gawking at everybody, yeah. Yeah. you're all the gay dudes at the gym hate you. So it's mostly socializing. Like the gym, all the bags are there and you see people yeah. in yeah. the daylight that you sometimes only see in the bar light and you get to hang out and you get to know people better. It's, it's a social club. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's healthy. I and mean, as you're talking about that, it occurred to me that in high school, I got beat up in the gym by straight guys, the alpha males. Uh -huh. right? And now as an adult, I, you know, I look shitty next to all the gay guys. So I'm getting it from both sides. Like there's no, the gym is definitely not a friendly We're, You place. should hang out with the bears. Not all, not all gay guys are gym fit. Not well, you took bear me guys to a bear fit. <laughs> when we were in New York, you took me to the bear bar. Yeah. As the one and only bear bar I've ever been in. It was fantastic. They were really yeah, the sweet, gay people, cuddly. Gay people call, come in all different shapes and sizes. <laughs> and there's plenty, of, like, there's plenty of hirsute uh, men of size at the gym who want to be... <laughs> men of size? Who want to be as yeah. who, who want to be fit, too, who are already fit. Oh, my God. Yeah. See, this is what yeah. not sleeping for three days is going to do to me. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm anticipating the angry phone calls and emails <laughs> and trying to qualify everything I say to get myself out of having to answer those if anybody's accustomed to angry phone calls it's got to be you at this yeah. point yeah yeah i'm still ad adjusting <laughs> i think about you a lot because you know like since since our book sort of sp hit splashed mostly thanks to you by the way thanks to the book um it, you know I, I i've sort of achieved this very minor sort of notoriety and the infamy in some circles in some circles exactly and the the bile that gets thrown around is insane and you've been dealing with this for you know since before there was internet I that's think. right i mean i started writing seven love 22 years ago and the angry angry furious letters i miss hey faggot by the way yeah i, that, I miss hey faggot too so there was just so perfect <laughs> the tone of that yeah i dropped it though because you know when we started the column it was queer nation days it was 91 yeah and it was a reference to the reclaiming hate terms debate that really animated queer nation at the time and then you know eight years later it was a reference to a joking reference to a debate that nobody could remember and queer nation was dead and gone right although queer nation has been revived in new york or something and they have an act chapter that's doing great work on the the whole russia situation yeah 
But yeah, I had to drop it eventually because nobody knew what I was jokingly referencing. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a bad sign. Um, so, all right. So now you mentioned how how much times have changed since you started down this strange winding road you're on. Do you feel do you have, do you feel like you've come to the end of a road in your career? Oh I God, mean, I hope not. I have a mortgage. <laughs> I hope people are going to keep paying me to do whatever the fuck yeah, it is that I do because yeah. I got bills to pay and a kid to get through school. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, not to say there aren't lots of other roads, but in a way, I, I mean, maybe I'm applying things to you that aren't true, but I imagine that it, an animating motivation in your career has mm. been uh, recognition of the dignity and legal equality, equality. of same-sex marriages and relationships and it seems like you know that's like a a dam that's burst and the water's rushing over well we still we have 37 states to go or 36 states to go after new jersey right Uh, we'll see what happens in new mexico this week hawaii is on the verge but even if we win hawaii new mexico new jersey illinois which looks like a possibility uh that still leaves you know 30 plus states where uh, same-sex couples are not legally equal and the lgbt civil rights movement has more on its agenda than just marriage. Right. Um, what else is there? Uh, there's trans rights. There's the rights of uh, trans kids. There's the rights of trans adults. Uh, E.J. Graff wrote a terrific piece. I think it was called What's Next for the LGBT Civil Rights Movement. Um, at uh, I can't remember where, but find it. Uh, E.J. Graff is a terrific writer. And it was a lot about gender nonconformity. Um, mm. And a lot about making a space in the culture for people who are gender nonconforming, whether they're trans or not. Um, and it's a really smart, it's a really smart piece. You know, trans people are subjected to a whole hell of a lot more violence and um, have far fewer civil rights protections. The "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" repeal uh, is unfinished. It was we repealed it for bi, gay, lesbian people who are serving in the military, so they can serve openly. And people who are not yet military who want to go in the military can go in openly. But unlike Canada, the United Kingdom, Israel, trans people still can't serve openly in the military here. Mm. So there's unfinished business there as well. Mm. So the the marriage uh, equality and the rights of queer kids. A... You know, I'm really passionate about the rights of queer kids. Yeah. And then there's the rights of queer elders. We have the Stonewall generation uh, getting up there, getting to their 70s and 80s, and you have people being shoved back into the closet because they're going into nursing homes that are staffed, uh, some of which are religious. Uh, many of them are run by religious mm-hmm. organizations, but also uh, many of them have never encountered an openly gay 70 year old, and there isn't a space. And people who are you know who made the where the LGBT civil rights movement has gotten so far possible at the end of their lives we're going to let these people be shoved back into the closet or brutalized for being openly queer in a nursing home right and so we're gonna have to come to the defense of queer elders and queer youth and and trans people there's a whole there's all this else you know i've been very passionate about marriage obviously um one of the ways we protect the rights of uh, queer people is protect our our rights as our right to be able to declare our own next of kin you know, that's hugely important, particularly if you have homophobic family members. You know, Terry and I live for 50 more years, God willing. Um, you know, it's possible that my siblings could all be dead. Terry's family could uh, all be – his sibling could have passed away. Uh, our parents certainly would be dead at that point. And then if we couldn't be legally married to each other, if I couldn't legally have made Terry my next of kin, then if something happens, if there's a medical emergency, uh, if there's property uh, left, if I should die or Terry should die, some like fourth cousin – 20 times removed could blow in and say, I'm the legal next of kin and all of this is mine and steal it from Terry. Yeah. And 
so to have that ability to name your next of kin is hugely important to queer people mm. um, of whatever class and whatever income, whatever property they manage to acquire over the course of their lives. Yeah, and presumably you'll have your mortgage paid off by then. Uh, yeah, unless Terry keeps buying clothes. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be eating cat food and Terry's underwear collection when we're in our 70s. <laughs> Which will taste similar, I'm sure. <laughs> At that point, yeah. <laughs> It'll smell the same anyway. All right, well, well then, you know, forget about that. I mean, the idea that, that you've sort of done what you came to do, that's obviously not the way you see it. No, not the way yeah. you see it at all. Queer kids are there's still being brutalized. And then th- there's the whole international focus, the LGBT civil rights movement. Um, you look at Jamaica, you look at Russia, you look at the plight of uh, gays and lesbian and bi and trans folks in uh, Uganda, in the Middle East, Uganda, Nigeria, mm-hmm. how right-wing Christian bigots, the Brian Fishers and Brian Browns of the world are exporting homophobia to places like it's Uganda. Yeah. It is unbelievable. Um, and it has to be fought. It has to be fought here because it's, cause it's coming from here, this, right. this murderous homophobia. Eliminationist homophobia, to borrow Daniel Goldschagen's phrase. Eliminationist homophobia. In that book, uh, Hitler's Willing Executioners, he talked about anti-Semitism, but he talked about a particular sort of Germanic strain, and he called it eliminationist anti-Semitism. Wow. And what the religious right has really shoved into the discourse over the last 30 years is an eliminationist homophobia. Not that gay people uh, don't deserve rights, but that gay people don't deserve existence. This whole ex-gay thing and gay is a choice and all the rest of this. This is about arguing that the world should be uh, mm. yeah, homo-fry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and it has to be combated and we have to call it what it is. It's a murderous, eliminationist homophobia. Because it's a, just a short jump from arguing that gay people don't have to exist to making sure we don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing to me how often in in interviews I still have to explain that human sexuality isn't about having babies. You know, I constantly cite your thousand sex acts for one every one live birth. What's sex about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's insane. It's the most inefficient biological mechanism in existence. If that's what it were for, and, but awesome, huh? <laughs> it's an awesome inefficiency. Thank God for all that wasted <laughs> effort. Yeah, yeah. God damn all these bonus orgasms. <laughs> when is Terry going to get pregnant for fuck's sake? How many Spe- times do you have to inseminate a guy? Spe- speaking of Terry, I, I put out a thing saying I, I was going to be talking to you. Would anyone have a good question for you or something? And one I got from several people is they requested hearing you say the word husband in a normal tone of voice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, there was – I'm one of the – I still – I some I, like it's almost like I can't believe I get to say it, so I yeah. have to comment on it and be a little ironic. Yeah. So usually when I say mention my husband, I, <laughs> I swallow the word my husband, my husband Terry, and, and you go all like country western on yeah, it. Yeah, my husband. Yeah. Uh, it's just a word I never thought that I would have the legal sort of right or authority or power to use legitimately. Yeah. Um, and in a way, I'm sort of winking at it and embracing it and celebrating it, but in a way, drawing attention to it. Because it does, it is odd that we, we've come so far so quickly that Terry here in Washington State and at the federal level and when we're in Canada snowboarding, he's my husband. There, I said it. There it is. My husband. Ah, beautiful. But, it, uh, you know, I got it for a while, you know, I didn't call partner i hated the word partner we called i called him boyfriend because that's all he could be yeah uh, my mother hated when i called him my boyfriend he's not your boyfriend you have a kid together you've been together forever you can't call him boyfriend it's like what well, legally i'm not entitled to call him anything else and then suddenly i was legally entitled to call him my husband <laughs> and uh yeah it still delights me so why not have a delightful pronunciation that's you know it's fun to have a husband when you were denied now does he does he use any weird uh, intonation when he talks about you <laughs> um no, I don't think so. 
<laughs> he has his pet names for me, but we're not going to throw them out here on the They're not going on. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I can edit anything. So oh, if no, you say fine. anything, you're like, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> this is not journalism. Far from it. Um, okay, as far as the reader questions and, and that kind of thing, someone else asked an interesting question. You've probably answered this before, though. Has, has anyone recognized themselves from the column or your podcast and like, oh, shit, she's talking about me yes. and like got legal, divorce, violence, any kind of weird? Um, that hasn't happened, thank God. I haven't heard of anybody uh, being harmed uh, because they the, their question was on the podcast or on the show. Uh, a couple of details that I'll give away that might not be so hot. Uh, I, I do control for that. There have been times when we've gotten a question that we wanted to take on the podcast, but we were worried this person might out themselves. Um, and so we re-recorded it with another person's voice and changed details and kept the problem, kept mm. the real crux of it. Uh, and I'm always going into letters and thinking, wow, you have given, you know, someone will write me and I want to run the, the question. And they have given their location, their age, the year they met, the year they married, how long they've been together, exactly how many kids they have, what gender their kids are, um, their profession. And they'll rattle off all these details, incidentally, in the letter. And so I've gone – I will go in and I will change all of that. Right. I will put somebody who's writing from Texas in Toronto. Right. And I will put – you know, somebody who's got three kids will suddenly have two kids. And somebody who's got twin girls will suddenly have one boy. Uh, the, the trick here, though, is there, I'm sure there are people out there who've been reading questions going, oh, my God, that sounds just like us and our problem, but we don't live in Texas, and we have three kids, not two kids, so this can't be about us. It's like, you know what? That was about you. Mm. I changed the details. Mm. So, I, But people have seen through that? Uh, a, a couple of times. You know, I've run letters where I didn't, you know, I didn't go in and change the details because I didn't think the problem was that uh, severe or, uh, or potentially, you know, if they were outing themselves, potentially it wasn't that big a deal. And then you hear from them. And after. then I heard from the letter writer, like, Oh my God, I should have, you know, my, my brother recognized my question yeah. and it wasn't a big deal. I've never heard from somebody where I changed the details because I was worried for their safety that indeed they were harmed. Then when the call, the question appeared, a lot of the questions in the column are usually fun and crazy yeah. and not. not are horrible. you, do you get bored? I mean, people, people write to me for advice, right? Uh -huh. And I, I blanket refusal to give advice, right? And I did your column one week, your you know letter of the day thing, which I found uh, so crushing and energetic. it was really hard. It was really <laughs> fucking hard. And I thought, man, you've been he's been doing this for so long, and it's got to get repetitive after a while, you know? It's like um, how many questions can there be? Give me your hand. He's reaching across. Do this one finger out. Like that, straight up. We're, uh -huh. we're going to pause now so that Chris can put his finger in my hole. <laughs> oh, the hole in your head? Feel that? Oh, yeah. I a drove little... a nail into my head in fourth grade, um, St. Ignatius grade school. I was wondering which hole I was putting my yeah. finger in there. That... It's, in my, it's in my fore, <laughs> it's in my skull. Um, and I have memory problems. Like, I get a letter and I just think, I don't think, oh, I've answered this letter 20 times over the last 20 years. I think, oh, what a cool question. Oh, really? And I mean, I, I, I sort of live a Groundhog Day life. Oh, just, so you're like a dog. I'm like, oh, it's that guy again. Wow, he's going to feed me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I do, I do enjoy it. Right there. It yeah. is the key to happen. And I do enjoy it. And enough of the letters, people enclose photographs of their boyfriend's butts to keep me entertained. Uh, so. You still doing the tidy whitey thing? No, I haven't done a tidy whitey contest in a while uh, i keep thinking i should do it again because it's been 12 years it's been really 12 yeah. years jeez yeah yeah but I, li I like getting the questions and they're entertaining and they're always different and the you know a lot of the questions have really changed it used to be easy to write a sex advice column because half the mail was what's a butt plug or right. know, fist Basic. fucking how do yeah. i do it 
a, you know, butt plug. It looks like a lava lamp. You stick it in your ass. It feels good. Fist fucking. Like take your watch off. <laughs> and you could, like, <laughs> to, to explain how to perform a particular sex act. Yeah, that's the diamond e- ring. Yeah, yeah, that's a problem, too. It's an easy column to write. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but now, because every, you know, butt plugs and fist fucking have their own wiki pages. Right. Uh, anybody who would get online to send me an email has already can access that info. So all of the mail are these really tough problems, these situational questions. Like this is what happened. This is what I did. This is what they did. Who's right. Who's wrong. Yeah. And you have to like step in and be Solomon and cut babies in half all day. <laughs> and that's, that's harder. Like what's a butt plug column. That's easy to write. Yeah. Yeah. I can write what's a butt plug columns in my sleep. And I used to, uh, and you get a lot of letters from people who are making shit up just to see if they'll get in the column. Right? And I don't lose sleep over that. Yeah. You know, every question that appears in the column is just a really great hypothetical to every reader but one. Right. So if a if a bullshit question slips through, and remember, you're not seeing all of the mail. That uh, if a bullshit question slips through the cracks, I'm not going to, um, you know, crucify myself about it. That said, some people think. <clears throat> pardon me. That said, some people think uh, that there are way more fakes in the column than there actually are because mm. the questions can seem pat. Uh, sometimes the questions can seem, you know. Uh, the actual wording of a question can seem uh, rote uh, or a little similar um, to other questions, and that's because I'm editing the questions right. down. Sure, questions come in and they're two thousand words long, and the column is twelve hundred and fifty words. Do you have people help you? Do you have people like no, skim them and no, give you the cream of the crop? Yeah, that's see that. So, the, I, so I have to that. I have to take th- three you know five hundred to eight hundred word questions and make yeah. three. 200 word questions out of them so a lot of the details that's that, a lot of work a lot of the details that that, that that convince me that it's for real the reader uh, doesn't get to see right because right. you don't see the unedited version right how come you uh, how come you don't have a staff <laughs> why why is there no dan savage enterprises because then i'd have to let my husband go because you can afford to I can, buy I, I can afford underwear an assistant, or whatever he's buying. Or I, could, I can afford Terry. Really? <laughs> You've seen Terry on Instagram. You see why I, I go I for I have Terry. seen him. I have seen him. <laughs> he's like, he's right up there with George Michael and uh, who else? There are like three or four gay guys who make me think, you know, maybe I'm doing this whole thing wrong. <laughs> and George Michael, I listen to a you know, good George Michael song and I'm just like, why am I so limited? He's so sexy. Because you're straight. Huh? He's so fucking sexy. It's that a tragedy guy. for you, but you're straight. It is a I'm tragedy sorry. for you me. To, it is. Carry it that, is. Bear that cross. Have you ever us? met you're Connor like... Habib? No, I haven't. He's a gay porn star mm-hmm. um, and also a, a very, very smart guy. Yeah. Twitter. I follow him. On... Oh, you know who he is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He and I had a great conversation and, and like he's another guy. He's like... What's wrong with me, man? Why am I not bisexual? I mean, what do you think about this? I, I had a professor in college, uh, Andrew Harvey, who's kind of a famous guru type guy. And he always argued that we're all bisexual. Some of us are just blocked in one area and blocked in the other area. You don't buy that. No, don't Dan buy just it. rolled his eyes. It erases the, the sort of lived experiences of so many people who are 100% straight like you or my brother Billy. We're 100% gay, like like Terry. Terry's never laid uh, a finger uh, on a woman, and, and Terry is a lot of things. Terry ain't blocked. If there's right. something Terry wants to do, Terry's going to do it. That's what I've always felt. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, I've put stuff in my ass. You know, I'm not, like, uptight about, you know, whatever. It's just it doesn't – it's not there. I wish it were. Right. And, and yeah. so I just, I just don't buy this. We would all be basically – you know, we're all fundamentally bisexual. Did I just say I put stuff on my ass? You said you said put stuff in your ass. In my ass, yeah. yeah maybe I'll <laughs> it's, it's not, it can't get in until it's on. Like at some point it's on your ass and then it's in your ass. That's right. I, I just think that uh, 
It's not because I'm biphobic. Like, yeah. yeah, maybe. Oh, here we go. Every, once, every once in a while, I see you know the lesbian firefighter. You know, I joke about there's a lesbian firefighter. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, you know, she looks like Rawl from Sound of Music with muscles. <laughs> and like, okay, maybe I could. Uh, you know, she blips onto my sex star because she's like that right combo for me of, yeah. of feminine and masculine. Like, I like femi guys. Right. I've, I'm like the only sex writer. I think gay dude sex writer in America who said I like. I like swishy guys. I like I like faggy guys. Yeah. I like you know if they can if they can tell that guy is gay when they see him from the International Space Station. Like, look, look at that fag down there. That's the guy I want to date. Like, the gayer the better. And so you know, there's some part of me that really taps into the feminine in a man. Yeah. That just doesn't it does I can't tap into the the and sometimes there's the masculine and the woman it's just because there's enough feminine there, but no desire whatsoever to be with. So with the women. feminine in the woman doesn't resonate the same way. No. So if you like, if you were, I don't even know if you could answer this question. If you were into women, is there a type of woman you'd be into? Do you think? Is there like a certain woman that's closest to? I used to sing zone? after I came out to torture my mother. I used to sing to her, the girl that I marry will have to be a dude. <laughs> so that's the type of woman I would be into. All right. Like See, a, I, Terry, when I met him, looked like woman, Kate yeah. Moss with a dick. Like, there's my, <laughs> that, that's my ideal woman is Kate Moss with a dick. Oh, my. Yeah. 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 We're, we're, you and I should be each other's wingmen. Man. There's no overlap <laughs> at all. Nowhere. We're never going to be. You know, in, in Spain, you know, I've lived in Spain for a long time. Uh, the there there's a certain class of people like sort of dudes who work on their own cars and have a lot of tattoos and stuff Mm -hmm. you know who their favorite band in the world is queen they don't know to this day to this day they're i mean spain's a weird i mean they've got mullets and stuff it's a whole i don't know what's going on but they don't know that queen has anything to do with there are little old ladies who went to their graves thinking liberace was a nice straight boy you see that film yeah, recently it. yeah oh my God. it's amazing yeah yeah i mean that's a weird thing or or who's the the workout guy the, you know the real richard simmons yeah i mean like him too and, and that's know. a product of a generation where you know being gay was literally the worst thing you could think of someone and there was something wrong with you if you would think that of somebody right it's the worst thing you could think. right so you didn't think that you didn't allow yourself to think yeah that. and you can see sort of vestiges of that have, have survived in the culture like Michelle Bachman looks at Marcus and doesn't right. think he's gay because that's the worst thing you'd possibly think of somebody. And, and so all these people looked at Liberace and thought he couldn't be gay. He's too nice. He's too talented. He's too charming. Yeah. And gay people are I none like of him those too things. Much. I like him too much. Yeah. And that exonerates him. Yeah. My parents, you know, I was a little weird gay kid. They didn't right. think I was gay. Yeah, you talk about listening to musicals yeah. and all that at 12. Or- 13th birthday. What do you want for your 13th birthday? My parents. I want tickets to a chorus line. Right. And then five years later when I came out to them, they were blown away. They were like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. yeah do you th- now, I- I've got this theory that there's like a uh, sort of samistat in American TV uh, particularly in the 50s and 60s because of what you're saying where the censors couldn't conceive of certain things so the writers who could slipped it right by them yeah like batman and robin gay couple yeah i hope so always seems so to me yeah you know? i always thought there's another door in this bat cave behind which is the all the bondage the dungeon. gear and the dungeon and the rack <laughs> yeah, exactly i mean come on that's where robin Wonder. spends his nights <laughs> yeah robin he's on one of those what are those things called the big the, cross yeah you know, st andrew's st. cross st andrew's cross right yeah yeah or or uh the gilligan and the skipper 
you know that scene and then there's the the dr- drug related stuff like the Scooby Doo and mm-hmm. they're all stoned and they're always got munchies and like you know how are they not getting that this is about a bunch of stoners you know or the beaver leave it to beaver I didn't get that. What was that? Well, about? Beaver has meant pussy forever. Right? Has it? Oh, way beyond the fifties. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I thought Jerry Mathers did that. I thought that. No, there no, was something no. about his it, performance which just screamed pussy. <laughs> it pre predates Leave It to Beaver. <laughs> so that you know, whoever wrote the line, you know, Ward, weren't you a little hard on the Beaver last night? It's like they knew what they were doing. I, oh, good for them. I got to believe it. Yeah. Who are? I'd love to like track them down if they're still alive. You know, it's some chortling eighty-five-year-old. You know, cracking up over what he slipped through into the culture. Uh, I got a dirty joke into the New York Times, and I actually think of that that way. Like, ah, I got it through. I put, I wrote an op-ed about uh, gay actors playing a straight actor playing a gay actor playing straight in this movie about missionaries that upset these Christians, right? Um, and then I just pivoted to they want us all to play straight. That's what they tell gay people to do: like choose to be straight, like live a lie, uh, be ex-gay, and. I said, you know, you can call somebody on that. Anybody who says that they believe that people can choose to be straight who are gay and then not be gay anymore, just like look at them and say, would you, would you want your daughter to marry one? Would you want your daughter to marry an ex-gay guy? And yeah. The answer is always no, because they don't believe it, not for a second. Right. They know that that guy is not capable of being in love with their daughter. Right. Uh, so I started, and then I just talked about, oh God, this is so digressive. Uh, tangentially speaking, <laughs> yeah. um, I shifted to uh, that movie, Enos and What's-His-Face, Brokeback Mountain. Oh, yeah. And I just said, since... Jake and Enos were pitching tents on Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> da, 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 da. And, and there was a dirtier joke in the previous sentence that the New York Times was like, no, that has to go. They took it right out. But they, they missed the pitching, they missed pitching tents. Because they literally pitched tents on Brokeback. Right, you saw them right. putting up tents, right. but then they figuratively pitched tents as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Two times I've gotten really dirty jokes in the New York Times. Really? I, I want that on my tombstone with Santorum and it gets better. Got two really good dirty jokes. In the what was the other one? Do you remember? Uh, the book review I wrote for the uh, of Jeff Chu's "Does Jesus Really Love Me," and he, and he argued that you know his POV seems to be that those of us who were raised in a faith and came out as gay and then walked away are all out there sulking, and if the church would just come around or churches would come around on the gay issue, we would all file back into the pews because we're just desperate to believe, um, and we just stay away because of the hatred and the bigotry. It's like no, um, you know, my sexuality didn't, you know. Uh, I, I didn't sulk away. I, I walked away. Like I'm done. I, I saw through it. I didn't. Mm. I'm, I'm not angry. Not, now I spend my Sunday mornings on my bike, on my snowboard, or on my husband. <laughs> Wait, you said this in the New York in Times, the New York Times right. and they let that one fly. I had to fight for it. <laughs> the editor, the editors were great. They were really thoughtful. It was just uh-huh. like, you know, the whole issue with the church is gay sexual expression, like. The Catholic Church, my faith, acknowledges the existence of people who are homosexually oriented, just doesn't think we should be sexually active. So me invoking sexual activity isn't gratuitous at all in an argument about religion and the conflict with with people who are queer. It goes right to the heart of it. And the clincher in my argument was, and I bet if I start digging around the archives, I will find references as explicit and humorous to the existence of heterosexual sex. Ah, yeah. yeah. You don't have a problem with that nobody flagged. Yeah. Uh, did an earlier draft say riding my bike, my snowboard, or my husband? Uh, I don't. I, I, I have to look that up. It might have even said because maybe maybe if you like pulled out the riding, that would like <laughs> calm them down enough. You know, yeah, so I spend my Sundays on my bike, on my snowboard, on my husband. Do you, yeah. do you think this new pope? No do you riding. think there's any chance this new pope is gonna 
going to actually... I think there's a chance this new pope is going to be shoved down a flight of marble Th- stairs. That's what I was thinking, yeah. There was one way back when who, who was, uh, I mean, like in the 1300s or something, who was very openly uh, cool about sex and all that, and the library roof was being um, Worked on retrofitted, it. and it fell and collapsed on him and killed oh, him. Poor thing, and nobody else? Nobody else, yeah. Yeah, and it was after he'd been in for about six months, they sort of decided there to There are conspiracy backtrack. theories about John Paul I who was Pope for 11 seconds before John Paul II, that he mm. was about to do something really radical. And uh, then he, I don't know, slipped and He got called home. Fell on an altar boy. <laughs> <laughs> In an altar boy. You know, but you, I, I'm actually, uh, yeah. I, 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 I used to argue, you know, I get into arguments with people about their theology around sex, not just gay sex, but sex. Because the problem with church and gay people is sex generally, not just gay sex in particular. It's non-procreative sex. It's what right. sex is actually for. Right. They just can't reconcile themselves to. Yeah. Because it's Judeo-Christian Talmudic bullshit. And so I try not to argue about the number of theology, but I have no illusions that the Pope's going to say gay people are awesome and gay people are a part of God's creation and gay relationships should be blessed too. Although Terry and I, our relationship was blessed in the Catholic Church by a Catholic priest. Suddenly, we were sort of uh, you know, pounced upon by a Catholic priest and blessed. Um, it's a long story. <laughs> Gorilla blessing. Gorilla blessing. Really? Um, but uh, but if the Pope can bring himself to say, you know, what Christ himself emphasized was caring for the poor, caring for the sick, housing the homeless, and didn't emphasize this. So even if you know our faith teaches that this is, uh, you know, this is wrong, or you know, God doesn't love it the most. Uh, God obviously didn't want it to be our sole focus. And the Catholic Church's sole focus and Christianity's sole focus in yeah. the United States for the last 30 years is beating up queer people and knocking RU486 out of the hands of women, which God didn't talk about. And the religious right nutbags, my friend Peter Lababera, will say, you know, Jesus didn't condemn uh, other things that are obvious that he would condemn. He didn't condemn child rape. He didn't say anything about it. But of course, that would violate, you know, Jesus wouldn't be down with child rape. The argument with that is just, you know, okay, but dude was omniscient. And so if Barney Frank's marriage was the most important thing on earth that had to be prevented and Jesus would have known that was coming and would have coughed up a few lines in the Sermon on the Mount, (laughs) thou shalt not marry Barney Frank, right? If you're a dude. (laughs) But he didn't. And so obviously, you know, and that's the game you get into with people who are like looking to this Bible is you have to tease out intent and meaning and what God wants from like these, this jerry-rigged collection of train wreck of stories and parables and allegories yeah, and yeah. metaphors even entering into a biblical conversation is pointless. i know but if the pope can get there and say yeah. you know what we all we can disagree about same-sex marriage and there are some faith traditions that allow for it some three-quarters of you know uh, reform conservative and something judaism uh, allows and approves of and blesses same-sex marriage it's just orthodox it doesn't right. and you know these christian uh churches and traditions that now uh bless same-sex marriages so obviously there's like disagreements people of faith can disagree we can all agree about taking care of the poor and housing the homeless mm. and uh providing uh health care for the sick yeah everybody of every faith people of no faith right. we all agree on that why can't we all work together on that and yeah. if the pope can change that emphasis god bless him yeah, literally. 
Yeah, that's figuratively since I don't believe in God. Yeah, because <laughs> it's figuratively. But I mean, God. What, what do you believe? Do you believe in any sort of uh, omniscient spirit or or logic uh, underlying the I, universe? I believe in the limits of human knowledge. Yeah, that yeah. we don't know. And right. There's always something beyond the flashlight. The because I mean, you know where does it end? And yeah, there, there, there's time. There's space. It, it go like. You start to think about that, and your brain instantly shuts down. Yeah, we don't know, and people typically who pretend to know are not people you can trust. Anybody who tells you they have the answers is obviously lying to you. Well, this is when people write to me for advice, and they they're disappointed. I'm not giving it. The, I always hit them back with this quote. It's, I don't remember who first said it, but it was um, uh, admire those who seek the truth, but flee from those who claim to have found it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, how do I reconcile that, what I just said, and what you just said with my prescriptive uh, impulses? I will tell people what to do. I just won't tell people what I don't goddamn well know. But, I mean, I don't – I hate to disagree with you on what you do, but I I never see you as someone who tells people what to do. I see you as someone who gives your honest opinion about things. Mm -hmm. And – and that that, that's the value of what you do, that people know that what they're getting from you is – sincere and it's informed by years of experience in dealing with this stuff and i see you more as like a really clean mirror than as uh an advice giving machine two times this week i've gotten a letter from somebody and then uh uh, just a really kind of um heartbreaking moment at a a talk where somebody twice people said oh you were right i should have listened to you Mm. um and i don't you know and i'm wrong about some stuff advice is just opinion look it up advice opinion about what could or should be done right the only thing qualification you need to give advice to somebody i was dumb enough to ask you for it and people asked me for it but (laughs) twice people came up to me in the last week just uh this woman who who wrote me about her problem and i wrote her back directly and i'm sorry if you've written me and i haven't written back directly i can't write to everybody back and i just said he's an abuser you're in an abusive relationship it's emotionally abusive uh, most abusers who are emotionally abusive eventually will upgrade to physically abusive, so you should leave him. And she came up, she looked at me and said, you wrote me back, uh, and I should have listened to you. And he punched me in the face and broke my nose. Right. And just stood there crying in front of me and like, hugged. And like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was right. You know what I mean? Like, what yeah. do you say at the moment? I wish yeah. to God I had been wrong. And then some gay guy wrote me today about how his, you know, it turns out that the boyfriend who was being so weird and shitty and squirrely was addicted to meth and sharing needles and they were having unprotected sex and he was fucking other people and (sighs) you're in this weird situation uh, like you know Casilda my wife's a psychiatrist and sometimes I I see similarities that you get really intimate with people you don't know you know you I mean people open up to you in ways they probably don't open up to anyone else in their lives yeah urinals at Midway Airport in Chicago it's happened (laughs) Well, let's talk outside without my dick in my <laughs> There's only one person who wants me talking really? to. Really? Someone sidled up to you? Yeah, it starts being next to me and goes, oh, my God, I've always wanted – I have this – it starts, like, throwing their problem out of me. Like, dude, we're in the toilet. <laughs> I'm peeing. Yeah, yeah. Lucky I, that wasn't in Minneapolis airport. I know, right? You, you know, do you have a wide stance, by the way? I do not have a wide stance. We were talking earlier about people writing you with fake letters. I've – I had an experience, and then later I thought, oh, I should, I should like write Dan a fake letter and see what he thinks about this, and see if it gets in the column. And then like, I can't do that, I, whatever. But so now I've got you. I'll tell you. I, I walked into a public restroom somewhere, and I think it was in an airport. And you know, I looked under. There were no feet. I pushed the door open, and there was a guy 
sitting there with his pants around his ankles, holding his feet up. So that you would walk So in. I would walk in and see him, oh. and he looked at me with this big smile, and I was like, that guy gets off on people catching him on the toilet. Was he hard and wanking well, it? Didn't notice, I didn't notice. Kept I mean, I looked up. at his face. You know, I was just like, oh, there's someone there. I'm sorry. And then I was like, wait, that guy was smiling, and he had his legs up. And I, thought, I wonder if Dan's ever dealt with it. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, no, I haven't. See, I would have gotten in. I would have been you famous. You would have gotten into the con- people. Are, people are people are perverse. <laughs> people are. You just saw Jesse Baring recently. Yeah, right? he was he on was the here. podcast. Yeah, he, he's he's great. Have, uh, you, have you read Perv? I blurbed it. I read one of the early drafts. It's, I, it's I haven't really read the finished good. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, he's great. I like him a lot. He and I drove to San Diego together to uh-huh. a road trip down there a couple of years ago. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I've, I've, he and his partner came to Barcelona. We hung out over there. He's he's a cool guy. Interesting. So you're okay. I know you're busy. I don't want to take up too much of your time. We've yeah, been go for it. We've been like thirty five minutes. So do you have a schedule? You got some coming up? Uh, not till three thirty. Oh, oh, great. Well, then let's talk slow. <laughs> <laughs> I should try to get something on the blog before I have to leave at three thirty. Yeah, um, but I'm enjoying this. Okay, here, here's the thing. Now I. Uh, <laughs> One of the reasons I like you is that you've got your ego under check. And I think that's probably also one of the reasons you don't have a bunch of assistants and and the Dan Savage enterprise that we were talking about earlier. And yet you're someone who spends a lot of time on stage, you're on TV, you're got, you know, you've got hundreds of thousands if not millions of people who are constantly tuned into everything you say. Uh can you talk about that a little bit about maintaining sanity when you've got that much attention i mean the reason i'm saying this i i met peter gabriel recently mm-hmm. at ted super famous incredibly famous mm-hmm. right and it turns out i know a guy he went to high school with mm-hmm. in fact this guy was the drummer in the band in high school uh-huh. and then there was that scene where you know they did a gig and an agent came up and said hey peter you're great i could get you lots of gigs but you got to lose that drummer well i know the drummer that they oh. lost and then they went on to become genesis and all that right so So Peter Gabriel and I were at TED, and we start talking. And I talked to him about this guy. Oh, I remember this guy, Chris. Oh, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And and so we had like a 15-minute conversation. And I just talked to him like he was a guy, Mm -hmm. right? Because I always assume really famous people um, yearn for someone who treats them like a normal person Mm -hmm. as opposed to the persona that they've, you know, developed over time. And at one point I said to him, you know, for someone who's spent this much time in the public eye, you're amazingly normal. Mm-hmm. And this look flashed across his eyes that was not appreciation. It was more like, you think I'm normal? It was dis- it was like disappointment. Oh, yeah. And I felt so bad because I fucking love Peter Gabriel. I could have been a fanboy. I could have talked about every song. The, the You know, the music he did for The Last Temptation of Christ is amazing soundtrack. I mean, I could have talked for hours about that shit. Instead, I just talked to him like a regular guy, and I think it backfired. Well, you, don't, you, can't, you can't read too much into one one look but yeah yeah who knows what well and that's thinking. what that's part of the pressure that's on people who you know because everybody's like oh this is my chance to talk to dan savage uh, i gotta say the thing i've always thought i want to say you know I, i'm no peter gabriel or bill maher or stephen colbert or anything I, i'm a uh, piddling i used to call myself in seattle pmlc 
which when the column was just a big deal here, which stood for piddling minor local celebrity. Yeah. I love my acronyms. I was a PMLC. Now I'm just a PMC because my celebrity is a little less local, but it's still piddling and minor. I don't think so, man. I mean, I do. I hope so. Well, but maybe that's the key to you keeping your shit together. That you always have to see it as piddling and minor, because once you don't, then you become the rich asshole or the famous <laughs> asshole or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean. There was a, there was a comment once on the, on the slog on the blog that I really appreciated, just because uh, somebody said I was so. Or people were debating what I wore on TV. I went on some cable chat show wearing a hoodie, um, you know, cable MSNBC or CNN. I don't remember. Just like wearing what I wear. Uh, and people were debating about how terrible and unprofessional that looked. And I just jumped in and pointed out that, okay, if I, this is how I looked all the time. And then I, every time I was on TV, I was like decked out in some suit. Then you'd all be arguing about what a fraud and what a fake and yeah. the, whatever the fuck I am. And then somebody in that comment had wrote, I've been living in Seattle for 20 years and I see you bombing around town on the same bike and the same shirts and the same awful jeans. <laughs> and, and, and I appreciate it. It was like, uh, oh, okay. So, I'm doing something right. Yeah, so <laughs> I only get new clothes when Terry buys me. I just don't have that fag gene about clothes. But I, I'm too. I, I attribute. Well, see, I, I've had time talking about this because I don't want to accept the premise that I'm super famous. But I'm very self-loathing, and I have very low self-esteem, and I think that really helps keep it in check. Like Dave Schmader, who works here at The Stranger, who writes the Last Days column, is a playwright and really smart guy, and really funny. You should follow him on Twitter, David Schmader. Uh, He's always said that The Stranger has benefited from having so many uh, hyper self-critical theater fags on staff. Because we look at the paper every week thinking, oh, my God, we totally got it all. Oh, we fucked this up. It's all wrong. Hmm. Um, As opposed to looking at the paper every week and being like, we are awesome. Look at our awesome paper. Uh, every week we look at the, look at the paper. And go, oh my god! Look at all the mistakes we made. How we fucked it up. Let's try not to fuck that up next week. But isn't there a and middle I, and path? And I feel that way about my life. Like every time I look at the column, all I can see are fucking mistakes I made, and uh, I can't read my own books. I don't know how you feel about re- rereading your own book, but all I see are like the things I would change or move around, or things I should have said, and how I should have put that, and how I should have written that, and the chapter I didn't write that ought to be in there, and um, and then you know maybe that's why I don't sleep for days at a time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't have that. I have to say, I don't, I don't have the self-loathing or fag gene. No. In fact, I sort of have the opposite where I, I, I'll even notice, you know, like I give myself credit for things that were just lucky. And I'm like, oh, look at that propping up the old ego there. Self-lauding instead of self-loathing. Self-lauding. I guess I've got that, yeah. Or like I'll give someone else shit for something and then it's like, well, but I do that. And, you know, now here I am like, you know, silently criticizing them for it. And, yeah, I, I think I've got sort of in built-in ego protective mechanisms that, um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure that's good. But but I do think that on the level, like on the public level we're talking about, like I don't take any of it seriously, mm. you know, or, you know, somebody says, oh, my God, your book changed my life. It's like, great. I'm, you know, if it changed it yeah, for the I better. Hear, I hear that. From but people. yeah, like whatever, you know, it's like I feel toward the book. I feel like Michael Jordan's father must have felt toward Michael uh. Jordan. You know, it's like, yeah, but that's my son. Like, oh, you must be so proud. Well, not really. It's just something I did a few years ago and now it's got its own life, you know. Mm-hmm. So I guess that, for me, that's an ego protective thing. There's me, and then there's what I do or have done, and they're two separate things. And mine is a little like people come up to me sometimes and say, you know, thank you, you saved my life. Uh, I got out of a really terrible relationship because I, you know, followed your advice, and 
you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I was like, you know what? That was in you. That that, that strength, that power, that was in you. Right. Like, I'm glad you, you listened to me. And if that helped, if that was like, um, you know, pushed a button for you that like landed, but you did it. You did yeah. the work. You, you got out of that relationship. You turned your life around. I didn't do that for you. Right. Um, and it helps to, to, to bear that in mind. That's why I say to me, you seem like a clean mirror mm-hmm. as opposed to something that's like, you know, uh, like a light or something. You're, you're a reflector. So people, you know, people who I, for, for me, I get a lot of emails from like guys in their twenties trying to decide whether to sign up on the career path and get married and all that, or travel and have adventures. And it's like, you're writing to me. Mm-hmm. So you're writing to me, you know what you're going to get from me. Right. So you're going to get permission. Yeah. To do what you wanted to do in the first place. So yeah, there's a, that's my job too. Yeah. Half the mail is mother. May I, I call it. Yeah, exactly. Mother. So, may I do this instead of what I'm supposed to do or do this that I want to do that. I haven't given myself permission to. I was like, yes, you may. Do you know who Gabor Mate is? Mm-mm. He's um, a doctor in Vancouver, works with addicts and uh, he's written uh, several books on mind body stuff. He's a really interesting guy. I was interviewing him last week and he said, you know, what you and I have in common is that we've both made a living or a career out of stating the obvious. It's like at a certain level, it's it's kind of simple and true. Like you know, yeah. Who are you going to believe? Yeah, me or your lying eyes? <laughs> that, 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 I mean, when it comes culturally to the, yeah. like the way sex works, the way the relationships actually work, yeah. there's the ideals that everyone falls short of, yeah. and then there are the sort of compromised and complicated relationships that involve a lot of accommodation and compassion. And permissions and understandings and workarounds and patches, uh, and those work, but the ideals don't. And we, yeah. I, I'm always encouraging people to um, do what works and to and to tinker and to make it work for themselves, as right. opposed to be tortured by these ideals that even people that you think are living up to them aren't. Because yeah. from the outside, you can't see the patches and the workarounds and the accommodations. Right. So people look at you know, their parents' perfect relationship. You don't know if your mom gave your dad permission to see a pro-dom every once in a while because they're not going to tell you that. Yeah. So, yeah, and it happens in, in every realm of life, not just relationships like work. You know, you see people, you know, Peter Gabriel, Dan Savage, whatever, me, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, you've like you're in the promised land. And then you meet the people and you're like, no, they're they're just they're struggling with the same bullshit everybody else is. There is no end point, you know, but to get back to your fame and, yeah. you know, uh, I, I, I do want to hammer on this a little because. I, I respect and, and certainly accept your self-deprecating, self-preservation and all that. But I've got to say that when people ask me about you in interviews or whatever, you know, I say that you will be seen as a historical figure. Oh, all right. No, I know. That sounds really pompous to <laughs> Only you. because we're running out of historical figures. They're <laughs> running out of history, uh, maybe. The uh, American Humanist Society, uh, I'm getting their name wrong, gave me their like Humanist of the Year award. In San Diego, at, yeah. yeah. I looked yeah. at other winners, and I was just like, oh, you must be running out of people to give this to. Yeah. You're like down to Richard me. Dawkins. He was there in the room when you got yeah, it. I didn't yeah. even get to meet him. No, I met him. Uh, again, I pretended I didn't know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> He needed it though. That guy. He... Uh, I don't think I'm going to be. Yeah, I don't. I hope I'm not going to be an historical figure. I'm a fan of history. I like to read history. I think you are, um, I, and I hope you will and be. I, and I, I know I wouldn't want to be reading about myself in 200 years if I should live that long. Well, here's what I think. I think that when you started out, we were talking earlier about Hey Faggot, and what was that, 20 years ago? 22 years 22 ago. 22 years ago. You were a fringe figure. You were only in the back pages of, you know, fringe. I, I think I first read you in the Village Voice, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, back when I lived. Sex ads. 
Yeah, exactly. Like hookers and, and sign up for drug <laughs> testing, and then there's Dan Savage. And you uh, are now mainstream, and you haven't changed. You haven't changed your jeans. You haven't changed your shirt. You haven't changed your message. You haven't changed your my language. Or my bike or anything. You haven't changed anything, right. So what's happened is the stream has shifted. And I think I did help shift it to, to some extent, That's particularly now because I meet all these people who are in their – 20s and 30s who grew up reading me the numbers of people who come up to me and say i started reading when i was 14 right and i'm looking at a middle-aged person which makes me want to die right uh, i started reading when i was 13 um and i seem to have had this sort of ripple effect impact on a lot of people's attitude towards sex in ways that have improved their ability to be in relationships to have and to talk and to talk to each other yeah. communicate yeah and i feel like that helped shift some of the stream my way i don't think i sold out i don't think i changed uh i think that the dialogue that i was a part of and that i grew out of which i think grew out of the hiv aids epidemic and the gay and lesbian civil rights movement and what straight people could learn from that and what we all had to learn from aids and hiv which was we had to talk about what people were actually doing in bed and not what everybody agreed everybody ought to pretend everybody else was doing in bed even if they themselves weren't you know that that sort of potemkin sexuality and relationship village that we all sort of yeah. built and pretended that was what sex and relationships were when all this shit was going everyone on knew behind yeah. the scenes um, and the people who were most damaged by that were the people who believed in the Potemkin sex, sexuality, and relationship false fronts that everyone put on. Uh, and I believe that I was uh, – I, 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 I think I was a part of that. Um, I don't think I need to claim all credit for it because I think it grew out of a larger movement about sexuality and the sexual revolution, the women's rights movement, uh, and the, the gay revolution and AIDS and um, everything else. But I think it was part of that. And to have it – and the thing that I've brought anything was a sort of a – user-friendly kind of up-with-people joking tone. Like, sex yeah. makes people nervous. People want to laugh yeah. when they talk about sex. Exactly. Because it implicates us all. We all feel a little indicted by it. We all feel a little... To uh, we're, we're powerless. I always say to college students, one of the first things I get up there when I get do a college being gig, so you were lied to. You were told when you, would, you were going to grow up and have sex. No, you're going to grow up and sex is going to have you. <laughs> That's a good line. That is the way yeah. it works. You are not yeah. stronger than sex. Yeah. Sex is quarter of a billion years old, and we are a couple hundred thousand years old. Especially now when you're in college. Right. We yeah. inherited it. It inherited us. It built us. We didn't build sex, and God didn't build sex. Yeah. And you have to come to some sort of negotiation with sex. But sex is the hostage taker with all the everything on its side. And you have to negotiate a deal with sex that's workable for you, that'll make you happy while mitigating all your risks. But you are not stronger than sex. Yeah. Ask Ted Haggard. That's and now probably. I say that at colleges and people say, who's Ted Haggard? <laughs> that's how quickly, that 2006 that happened? That's how quickly shit changes. Yeah. I don't know. Kids, yeah, there are kids these days. Right. They're like a different species, you know? I mean, I don't know what they're doing. I, I don't know a if you read this thing. A lither, hotter species. Well, but I don't know if they're hotter. I mean, did you read this recent research out of Japan? Like, like sex, Japanese people are like, yeah, and they're not into sex. They're, they're in their dolls. Did you read into that, though? The, the economy can't support people coupling up and partnering up. There there's the housing, there aren't yeah, the but jobs. They can there's, no support, there's no support for women who might have babies. Yeah, yeah. Like, everything else that sex comes bundled with, relationships, children, family, uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, is economically almost so infeasible in Japan that I'm sure people are jacking it. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Because soy, stuff. you know, soy cuts testosterone <laughs> levels a lot, really. Um, and then on the other I hand... I had tofu for lunch. <laughs> there you go. There was uh, an article I just read about a guy, a pickup artist. You know that whole scene? Yeah. 
Um, Which I managed to have never written about. I'm proud to say that I've been writing a sex advice column for all these. I've never once written about you never, it. You know, I met uh, Neil Strauss. Oh, did you? Yeah. In fact, he was the first person I ever interviewed for this podcast. Ah. So here's some bookends. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's an interesting guy. Um, but uh, this pickup artist dude who writes this book called – it's like a series of travel books. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, fuck France and then fuck Greece. And then you know, he goes and fucks all over. He got to D- Denmark. And nobody would fuck him. He, nobody would fuck him. And he was smart enough on some level to recognize that the reason the women were immune to impervious to his charms, dubious as they may be, is that they don't need men because the government takes care of single mothers and takes care of child care. And, is you know, that da, da, da. well, that I mean, or is that his theory? Well, that was his theory. And uh, it was confirmed by some of the Danish people or the journalists who were writing about this book. Right. And, uh, and then I saw today that Denmark is the happiest country in the world in the latest survey and of people happiness. are getting laid in Denmark. Sure, I've been to Denmark. Sure, it's they're not getting like laid. If you give women childcare and uh, economic equality, and there's a social safety net, that they stop sucking cock. No, like the Danish women I've known. Uh, oh, oh, like here's Dick. a story. No, no, personally, but Terry <laughs> and I spent some time in Denmark. We got to know some folks. Uh, People are fucking in Denmark. They yeah. were just fucking this guy in Denmark. Yeah. Because maybe they have decent sex education. Exactly. Maybe the quality of the sexes. So all that pickup artist undermining, sabotaging, making Nagging, somebody feel weak yeah. and insecure so right. that they'll suck your dick to That's feel better about working. themselves. Yeah. That won't work in Denmark. Yeah. That'll work in the United States because we have lousy sex ed because people are uh, – women are slut-shamed because women are stripped of their sexual agency uh, and also then told that if they're not sexual, that there's something wrong with them. If they're not, you know, they're not supposed to act on any desires of their own, but if they're not desired, they're damaged somehow. And a man can come along and leverage all that baggage against a woman and get his dick into her mouth. I don't think he can do that in a country like Denmark or Sweden as yeah. successfully. Yeah. yeah. Here, here. So why haven't you written about pickup artists? Is I don't know. There, there are certain things that like sort of boil in the world that I never seen. I never get letters about them. And, and it's not hmm. my... It's not my style. Uh, it, it, I don't think I remember getting a letter about it. I would read about it because it would be written about, and I would think, oh yeah, I've never really written, never talked about that. It's never come up in Savage Love. You know, I, I collected an audience of people who have a similar kind of, I think, emotional aesthetic, and people I'm into direct, and I never, you know, maybe it's because I'm not uh, trying to wheedle my way into women's pants. Um, there was just something much more effective uh, when you're gay about just being straight with somebody hmm. and saying. Yeah, let's do this. You want to do this? Let's, yeah. Like, let's fuck is not a pickup line that goes over well with women. <laughs> but that'll, that goes over well in a gay bar. Yeah. yeah. You want to fuck? Sure I do. Yeah. You can say that to men. Thank God I'm gay. Yeah, thank God. See, that's, I wish, I wish. I mean, there's there's a thing. I, I'm, I'm avoiding commenting on this thing, but this this big blog editor just got like completely humiliated publicly because it turned out that there had been a pattern of him sort of very – very subtly suggesting to some of the women that he worked with that he would be open to a relationship with them and the women none the women refused but it came out that this was happening and the women all freaked out and in my opinion completely unfairly humiliated him publicly he resigned from his job he's like career is destroyed and the women who wrote about it said explicitly he was never vulgar with me. He never touched me inappropriately. He never um, used his position of power to hurt me in any way. But he made me feel bad, and that's enough. Seriously. And, and I mean, I 
tweeted about it and the response from people just to the tweet was so vehement i was like thank god i'm in the middle of moving and i don't have time to write about this because i would get myself in trouble Ugh. and one of the 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 bloggers actually wrote um that it was uh the harassment you'll probably get letters about this it was harassment even harassment that uh, that seems to be non-harassment is a reason to uh, for retaliation. Like, oh my God! So, like, try try telling that to the cops. And this is these are people who probably consider themselves sex positive. That's the thing. To me, it's like slut shaming in reverse. You know, mm. the the crime that this guy committed was being attracted to women he worked with. We have established it as a, you know, you are a creep if you hit on somebody at work. You are a creep if you hit on somebody on the bus. Uh, You're a creep if you hit on somebody at school. Uh, It's one of the reasons online dating is so huge now uh, is because we've made so many ways that people used to meet uh, and and encounter people, express interest, taboo. However, you know, a lot of the people who were subjected to that kind of attention in those places, buses, schools, classrooms, places of employment, were harassed. So you can make an argument that his non-harassment harassment was, you know, part, you know, a point on a continuum that leads to, you know, a sexualized workplace where women are not safe. Um, and I'm always encouraging, you know, the problem is somebody's going to hit on you at work or school or on the bus is self-selecting to be likely or to be an asshole. So just the fact that they're coming up to you and hitting on you that way may, like, put you on your guard that you're reacting negatively, even if there's not anything coming from them that's negative, because they've self-selected for much likelier to be an inappropriate asshole because people yeah. don't do this. People don't hit on each other Because at work the culture anymore. has eliminated it, yeah. And we need yeah. those free fire zones which yeah. is OkCupid, which is a million dating websites, which are certain bars at certain times where by entering it, you are saying, you may now approach me. Yeah. Right? But yeah. that's not the workplace anymore. It's not. And maybe that's the mistake he made. I would, you know, you'd hate to see somebody who was doing his best to be not creepy, not shitty about it, be crucified because other people hitting on people in those same venues are creepy and shitty yeah. about it. So yeah. his his attempt at harmless flirting was perceived to be shitty flirting or harassment because da, 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 da. yeah yeah but, but I mean, God, to me, got, you got to be able to show some harm and also the but, other but, thing they the women never said but, to him hey dude stop here's the line you're I, that's inappropriate or you're making me uncomffortable but he had more power than they did and yeah. women are socialized not to say no right. to men. Right, and but men he never women, used the power. Yeah, it, but did he, he didn't do anything? Uh, I don't know. I'm not yeah, familiar you with don't the, know case, the case. But I'm, yeah. It's not fair to say the women never said don't because we have a culture that, that raises women never to say no to men, and which sets men up for for problems as well. I'm raising a son, right? And I have to talk to him and say, you can't, you know, you have to really ask for the no because in an inviting way because women are girls your age have been subtly some of them and overtly others uh socialized never to say no to a man and you can get you can you can derail your whole life if you get into a situation where she wanted to say no and didn't yeah and so you need to be solicitous of that no even if you don't want to hear it because you don't want to fuck your life up any more than you want to traumatize somebody yeah. else because that can fuck your life up too yeah. um, you don't want to fuck somebody else's life up because that you know if you have an empathetic soul you will feel terrible about that if you blunder into it yeah. and so we have to you know we have to take that into consideration as males as straight males less so me as a gay male that it's not enough to say that she you know they never said no we have to remind ourselves that they're not they were raised never to say no 
Yeah, I can't. I can't help feeling. I, I, it's I take the questions. I take hypothesis. questions all the time from women who can't even say, who just call me all day long. The Savage Love Guys all day long, and all they need to hear from me is, "You may advocate for yourself sexually." That's all they speak up, say something. It's okay. You can tell him that that doesn't feel good. You can ask him to pay attention to your clit. Yeah. And women who are with their sex, who have sex partners, people they, they want to be with, can't even bring themselves to speak up lest they hurt the feelings, bruise the ego, damage the dick, you know, the, the psychic dick, the Tinkerbell dick that has to be constantly applauded for lest it disappear or die. And so we have to take that, you know, I don't know about this case, but that has to be taken into consideration to how these women subjectively experienced what an objective outside third party may view as harmless flirting with no malicious intent and no retaliation and no abuse of authority. It still may be experienced as women in those places as as slightly as fucked up and scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish people could hit on each other generally at work or wherever and hear a no and 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 react well to it and brush it off. But straight guys have to take into consideration that women aren't empowered to say no to you. So that no yeah. that they want, they maybe want to say their inability to say it, they will experience as slightly traumatic, as uh, as kind of an emotional failure. But haven't we out. put up a legal structure now where women are empowered to say no? Because at, a, at the workplace, if a woman says no and the guy persists, then you've got lawsuits and you've got all sorts of right. you have, stuff. You have career-ending lawsuits. Yeah. So, no, no, no. You have your career-ending lawsuit. Like a woman who's been sexually harassed at work, you know, who works at some big law firm, the kind of place that's going to have an HR department that's going to pursue this sort of thing. She knows that if she sues, she's not going to be employable in that field mm. again. So, we, yeah, we have these mechanisms. She better hope it's a lawsuit with a settlement that sets her up for life because she's probably not going to Because then she'll have a reputation is hard to deal with or something. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we have these laws in place ostensibly to protect, but we still have the weight of the culture. Mm. Uh, That's and a good point. Yeah. Working against women in a, in a very strong way. I, I feel – sometimes I feel bad for straight guys. It feels like there's not a foot right a straight guy can put, but – yeah, to me, it's like the hygiene. You know what the hygiene hypothesis is? It's the idea that by eliminating all microbes from our environment, what we do is make ourselves very vulnerable. Weak. And that's, you know, a lot of the gluten sensitivity and peanuts and all these allergies mm. that are coming up are because, and they show that kids who grow up playing in the dirt have a much healthier immune response than kids who grow up in cities and so on. Mm-hmm. asthma is apparently part of this. So I feel like culturally we do that. You know, we eliminate this sort of very basic interaction, you know, male, a man saying to a woman, wow, you look really beautiful. And the woman thinking, mm, this is going the wrong way, but I can't say anything. And, and you know, instead I, it, it's like, well, it, what, what, what the woman might feel having heard that is, okay, I can push back strong against that now and be labeled a bitch yeah, and a presumptuous bitch because yeah. I wasn't trying to hit on you or anything. Or I can like laugh and smile it off, and it's gonna it's frog in the frying pan time, and the the heat that the the the, the, the sexualized commenting is gonna like it, it'll rise and rise and rise and rise, and then I'll be told, you know, you two told years me. like yeah. if this bothered you, why didn't you speak up two years ago? Yeah, there's just a lot of undertow and coercion that I think women are hypersensitive to and aware of that a lot of straight guys don't perceive. Yeah. Yeah. In a you know a mixed gender workplace, that has to be taken into consideration, not just to protect the you know the, the very special fifis of all women everywhere, although there's that, but to protect straight guys too from like what happened to this guy? Yeah, because he misread the cues because he did what seemed harmless but was experienced as harmful by the people he was 
interacting with or experiences yeah. a point on a continuum that leads to harm and made them all paranoid and, and, and insecure in their workplaces or whatever. And he exploded his own life. And yeah. he, like the cultural compact now is get on OkCupid. Okay Get on Christian Mingle. Fuck, get man, on Recon. Weird. Get on Co Tango. Did you hear? Did I tell you about our no. website? Yeah, we set up a website for ethically non-monogamous people. Get on there Co- and get yeah. to clubs and bars and places where it, they're literally free fire zones. It's almost like a demilitarized zone. You, you go here and or a militarized zone, and so like workplace is a sexually hopefully demilitarized zone. But if you're here, yeah, you can set, you can hit on me, you can approach me, you can talk to me, you can say shit to me, you can tell me I'm pretty, you can tell me I'm hot. In this place at this time, where I have consented to that kind of approach by walking my by ass being in here, here. Yeah, yeah, and somebody, you know, I say, I say to women after this like long defense of perhaps how women perceive this, these interactions and their feelings, I say to women who like blow up at me about some guy approaching them in, in a bar, like, nope, eh, that's the place. You're in a bar. You're in a bar, not, and not like a hotel bar. Right. You're at one of the like bars here on Capitol Hill in Seattle, right. where people go because they're in their 20s and 30s, and they're looking to hook up, mate, find a mate, or just find somebody for the night. And you can't get all persnickety that some dude approached you, because this is a dude approach you zone, right? <laughs> persnickety. It's a good word. Oh well, yeah, dude approached you, <laughs> and if it had been the the other dude. The dude behind you that like. dude that yeah. you looked at, maybe you would have felt differently. Yeah. You can't yeah. fault dude approached me yeah. in a dude approached me place. Right. We need those places. And I say that as yeah. a dude who approaches and is approached by, right. or was, you know, I'm getting up there and I'm married forever. In the urinal. In the, yeah, the urinal. <laughs> from the, the urinal airport. next Oh, my God. Year. And I lived in Spain for 20 years. So I'm coming at this from a Spanish perspective where, you know, the amount of erotic energy in public is just beautiful. I mean, it's a wonderful place. Now, I'm sure there are some Spanish women who would say, yeah, it's beautiful for you, but, you know, I got to right. put up with this shit all the time. But the fact is that most of the Spanish women that I know, they like it. And when they come to the States, they're like, nobody looks at me. Guys don't talk to me. I, I feel dead. I feel ugly. I mean, my first girlfriend, when we came to San Francisco, I came home and found her crying one day. And I said, what was wrong with you? What's going on? I'm ugly. I'm fat. Like, no, you're not. You're gorgeous. But men don't look at me here. I'm like, ah, that's we're, that's San Francisco. I was going to say, we're in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe the men are looking over your They're shoulder at, at me. the dude. <laughs> I love it here. <laughs> you saw that picture of my mustache I yes. posted the other day? That oh was those days. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I, I think I responded to the picture. <laughs> like, I don't look that gay with a dick in my mouth. You said something about having sat on a lot of faces or mustaches that look like that. <laughs> I don't know. I never dated a guy with a mustache. Terry grew a mustache once and I refused to touch him until it was gone. Yeah, that's what you said. Like when he grows a mustache, he finds himself in a sex-free marriage yeah, or something. Sexless yeah, sexless marriage because he looks yeah. like my uncles. Yeah. And there's yeah. nothing less sexy than my... Sorry, Jimmy, Jerry, Walter. <laughs> nothing less sexy than my uncles. Yeah. Were they firemen? Uh Cops, Police. cops, yeah. Coast Guard, trucker. Yeah, there's a military mustache nexus. Yeah, yeah. I, I regret it because, I, I mean, I grew a mustache. I had this big, bushy, wonderful mustache. And it's great because, like, you feel the breeze. It's, it's a sensual kind of thing. I admit it, it didn't look great, but uh, it felt great. <laughs> anyway, listen, thank you. I know My you're really busy. This, this is really fantastic. Sorry to, it takes to so long to, to, to sit down and talk. No, no, it was worth it. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you. Just 
Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.